One thing I have never understood is how to work it so when you're married, things keep happening to you. Things happen to you when you're single. You meet new men, you travel alone, you learn new tricks, you read Trollope, you try sushi, you buy nightgowns, you shave your legs. Then you get married and the hair grows in. I love the everydayness of marriage. I love figuring out what's for dinner and where to hang the pictures and do we owe the Richardsons, but life does tend to slow to a crawl. The whole summer Mark was secretly seeing Thelma Rice while pretending to be at the dentist. I was cooking. That's what I do for a living. I write cookbooks. And while I did discover a fairly revolutionary and absolutely foolproof way to make a four-minute egg and had gotten to the point where I simply could not make a bad vinaigrette, this was not exactly the stuff of drama. Even now, I cannot believe Mark would want to risk losing that vinaigrette. You just don't bump into vinaigrettes that good. Before that, there had been a lot of time spent on swatches and couches and floor plans. It's almost as if Mark had a career as a columnist and I had a career as a food person and our marriage had a career as a fighter with contractors. Your shelf for mine Talking sophisticated topics all the time Your shelf for mine Kick back, relax, crack a book, unwind at your shelf Welcome to your shelf. Or mine. I'm Becky Standall, Youth Services Librarian at the Longview Public Library. I'm Austin Brigden, Administrative Assistant here at the Longview Public Library. And today we'll be talking about the work of Nora Ephron. That's right. I have been looking forward to this episode all year. Um, That's one of the reasons I put it kind of at the end of the year. And also because it would be a good reason to um, watch some of my favorite movies I watch at the end of the year normally. And so many of those those movies involve Christmas Christmas anyway. Mm -hmm. I think there was a list that you looked at the other night that was, it it listed Christmas movies and then sort of like Christmas tangential movies, I think. And and some of these are sort of like Christmas tangent, Christmas happens. They're not about Christmas necessarily. Although one of them we watched was. Mm Mm-hmm. So we'll be talking about her films and also her uh, earlier careers, too. I had just checked out, but only read the introduction of a new biography about her that's out that we just got at the library that quotes a commencement speech that she gave at Wellesley. Am I saying that right? Wellesley. Wellesley College, which is her alma mater, too, I believe, where she says that it's never too late to change your mind. She should know she had four careers and three husbands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew about Nora Ephron. We'll talk about that like we usually do in a second, but our background with the, with the author. I think of the people that we've read this year, she's maybe one of the most multi-talented, multi-involved, like you said, worked as a journalist, did screenplays, did memoirs, did a novel, did stage, mm-hmm. stuff for the stage. I mean- she did a lot of different stuff. I mean, but it's all very her. Mm-hmm. It all has such a strong through line of her personality. Yeah. So let's talk about, like, we often start with, you know, what we brought to the table with this, you know, what our experience with Nora Ephron was before. So, Becky, what did you, how experienced were you with Nora Ephron? Nora Ephron's movies were what I knew her best from. When Harry Met Sally... And You've Got Mail in particular are two of my favorite movies of all time. I watch You've Got Mail, I feel like, whenever I'm sick. And I always watch, like, When Harry Met Sally towards the end of the year. I feel like it's like a New Year's movie. Those are the things that I know her best as. And it was interesting. We watched a a documentary about her that you can find on HBO where they talk about people who had followed her as a journalist and as a columnist felt even like a little bit betrayed at her turn towards like romance and like happy endings because they had considered her to be like a real um, cynic cynic. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, I feel the opposite because I know her, you know, from these kind of, you know, romantic ending movies and to read her older stuff where she's very cynical 
is my experience. It's like the opposite. That's interesting. I sort of think that that complaint was overblown a little mm-hmm. bit. And maybe, maybe you know, that was a complaint at the time. And, and I don't know if people say that now yeah. the way they did, because I think with the passage of time and with with attention, you really you really do see the through lines. And sometimes actual lines repeated in the movies from yeah. essays or from her novel. Mm-hmm. But I think you see it. So I'll say first that, yeah, I, I had a similar Nora Ephron background. I knew of her a little bit. I was kind of aware of her as a writer. You know, she had that late popularity as a writer of humorous memoirs. Right. Uh, like when... I, I feel bad about my neck. I remember nothing and other reflections, which I always thought was a fabulous title. And I knew about that work because very popular in libraries. Very popular. In libraries when those came out, but I didn't read them. I didn't either. I think I watched her on Charlie Rose and and stuff. And I knew Sleepless in Seattle in particular because that was like a favorite of people in my family. But I I don't think I'd seen When Harry Met Sally until I met you. I might have seen You've Got Mail. In fact, I think I had. But I was just going to segue kind of into the movies since we were talking about that. I get it. I, I guess I get that surprise, but at the same time, the movies are just as sort of sharply observed and, you know, like people find love in those movies, but it's not easy and it's not straightforward. And there's a lot of social commentary on people, too, mm-hmm. that's, I think, as as not cynical, but as like acidic as, as any of her earlier work. Um, and there's also like we were watching Sleepless in Seattle the other day and I was thinking about how in every of every one I think of her Meg Ryan movies she goes through like a breakup and for mm-hmm. Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail for most of the movie she's in like a pretty good relationship with a different person and they have both have very like <laughs> amicable breakups in order for her to like you know get fulfill her destiny her Tom Hanks destiny yeah. Well, and, and for every right person in Nora Ephron movies, there's a wrong person, you know. Mm-hmm. And usually, yeah, it's like kind of a no fault. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's some stuff like Walter, who's the partner, initial partner in Sleepless, is like surrounded by humidifiers and he's sneezing all the time. He's allergic to everything, which is more of played for laughs than a, like a real problem. We didn't, oh, the failure of our thing in terms of hitting the like, big movies of Nora Ephron is that we didn't watch Heartburn. Right. And I wonder if you watched Heartburn, that's a very different, <laughs> it sounds like you get relation a breakup with real problems, mm-hmm. real problems. I think that's covered more in When Harry Met Sally. So Nora Ephron always talks about, or this episode is all over the place. We're starting from the end. She always would talk about writing When Harry Met Sally that like she imagined herself as Sally and Harry was like Rob Reiner who directed the movie. But when I read Heartburn, which is the autobiographical novel she wrote about her, the end of her marriage to Carl Bernstein. Carl Bernstein. Of Woodward and Bernstein fame. Who she found out was having an affair um, when she was like seven months pregnant with her second child. And she goes through the breakup. With a friend of theirs. Yeah, with a friend of theirs in their social circle. Anyways, so when did that novel come out 83 so i read that and there's a lot i'm like the carrie oh carrie fisher carrie fisher's character in when harry met sally snatches some lines out of heartburn as does i feel like like a lot of what i was reading in heartburn reminded me of harry's character and the breakup he's going through and when harry met sally reminds me a lot of the Nora Ephron character in Heartburn. And so I thought it was funny that she's like, I'm like Sally. And I'm like, that's not what I read, mm-hmm. you know, reading it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she is. It's interesting how she's unafraid to rehash mm-hmm. and unafraid to even reuse. I don't know. You know, maybe she thought different audiences, maybe. But um, which is true, because now we only know this now, going back and reading some of those books. And I was like, I know this line. I couldn't, you know, say it. Or there's this part um, in When Harry Met Sally where Sally is talking about sex fantasy she's had since she was yes. a teenager. Yes, Where this faceless man just rips her clothes off. And she... That wrote, comes out of an essay. Yeah, she... That uh, she wrote when she was writing her columns. So I don't know. Maybe we should go back to the beginning. Wah. Of Nora Ephron's <laughs> life, right? You know, like we said, we we did watch the HBO documentary, mm-hmm. which is very good. It was made by her son Jacob. Um, it's called 
everything, her older son, her older son Jacob. Everything is copy, um, and and a lot of people are are in that. We'll talk more about that, but th- that covers some of this backstory. So she's the child of this dazzling sort of screenwriter couple, and that has a really big influence on her growing up. Obviously, on all of those children, because the family has produced Nora Ephron is the most famous. Mm-hmm. Produced a lot of successful children, creative four children. Daughters, yeah. Yeah. So Delia Ephron, mm-hmm. frequent collaborator with her sister, but like very popular author in her own right. And then the other sisters too are also like I didn't realize how one writes mysteries that are mm-hmm. extremely popular. Um, and then I think Amy writes, I'm not sure exactly the genre she falls into but all very successful authors and that um everything is copy which is often attributed to Nora Ephron is actually from her mother yeah something that she was like taught or she says that she was and you feel growing up so when she writes heartburn she changes the professions of the parents and her own so the protagonist is a cookbook author the father is a character actor the mother is an agent but like if you've watched or, or listened to her talk about her family, you recognize like the mother in Heartburn is like, oh, this is her mother. Mm-hmm. Kind of a tough lady. They both kind of end up not maybe getting what they hoped for in Hollywood or in fame and, and, and meet sort of tragic ends, alcoholism and, you know, depression and things like that. To tie it back to Christmas, though, the <laughs> I'll say also her parents co-wrote the movie Desk Set, which is another one of my favorite That's Christmas That's a favorite. And if you're a librarian, you know, it's a librarian classic. Mm-hmm. One of the, is it the final? I think it might be the final or close to the final, maybe second to the last Spencer Tracy Catherine oh, Hepburn maybe. vehicle. And, you know, Catherine Hepburn is like in the reference. She's the head of the reference department at this newspaper. N- newspaper and he's like an efficiency expert. Oh, my gosh. And the philodendrons as a plant person. <laughs> So many reasons to check this movie out. But yeah, they were on that. They were on a number of other movies. Um, That was the one I was most excited to find out that they wrote. They were on a number of things and worked with. And and some of the movies they wrote were maybe lesser known vehicles of like people you would know. Mm -hmm. You know, a Cary Grant movie, different things. But anyway, so she grew up in that milieu, you know, with, you know, Hollywood, these people coming to dinner, it being like a regular thing to have a creative job. She ends up, you know, going off to Wellesley. Um, and writing, I think even being involved in writing there, she ends up as a journalist, kind of in in the height of the wave of new nonfiction, the create new journalism, creative nonfiction wave, um, with people like Gay Talese and uh, that dude in the white suit whose name escapes me. Becky, help me out. You know, in the white suit, Bonfire of the Vanities, Electric Acid Kool Aid Test, Tom Wolf. Tom Wolf. Um, all those those people were writing. Joan Didion. Yeah. She comes into that same. And there's a lot of work. There's a lot of oh, magazines. Magazines had money, baby. Mm-hmm. They had money like crazy. And they were desperate for content. So, you know, same with the sort of short story boom. Like pe- writers were doing pretty good. She wrote for like all over the place. Oh, well, she started off as like a male girl. Yes, she was for... a male girl at. Oh, I can't remember. One of the like, New York Post or? No, it was somewhere like Time or like. Oh, one of the magazines. Yeah. And it was like women weren't allowed to write. Uh, yeah. So she would never become something other than a male girl. They would never hire a woman. As right. A she talks about that. I think there were some women beginning to, were, were women writing, but like that mm-hmm. path, that career path from the bottom was very open to men. Yeah. And well, assumed. And it wasn't available at that place where she was working as a man. Right, right. So she left. And so she wrote for a number of years, sort of as a journalist, and she produced her first collection, which we have, you know, I think a first edition in the library. And I had meant to read it. It's called Wallflower at the Orgy. I read it. You read it. I read it too. I had meant to read it. And so I read it. for. I was excited to read it for this podcast, which is funny because it probably wasn't the thing I read that I liked the most, but Mm -hmm. it was really interesting. You know, it's a really, some of the pieces hold up better than others, but it's a real time capsule of like- that moment, I don't remember what year it was published, maybe late 69, I think. I think all the pieces mm-hmm. were written in 68, 69. It is an interesting collection. She does like profiles of people. She does a profile of um, Helen Gurley Brown, who 
revitalized Cosmopolitan magazine to what we still think of as Cosmo today. And wrote Sex and the Single Girl, mm-hmm. which was a revolutionary book. Uh, Nora Ephron also frequently wrote for Cosmo. Yeah, yeah. While being able to, because I think she wrote like a send up of Cosmo. Or one of the magazines. I think it was New York Post. Was it New York Post? There's a great story in the documentary where she like writes this send up and of it and um, somebody brings it to the editor, female editor, you know, very well known. Mm-hmm. And like, oh my gosh, aren't you mad? And she's like, No, hire her. If she can write that well in our house style, yeah. you hire that girl. But anyway, Walfa at the Orgy is really interesting. I think the Helen Gurley Brown is one of the pieces that mm-hmm. that like sticks the most yeah so there's like a mix of stuff that still you read and is interesting and then some stuff that it is dated yeah Yeah. but it but don't you feel like like, i don't know you see where she's gonna become like you see Mm -hmm. the humor the kind of irreverent humor i love to in that book in a way that isn't repeated in later books of essays she has like little introductions to each piece yeah like oh this is how this came about i wish so um later Maybe after her death, uh, they came out with this collection called The Most of Nora Ephron. And it covers her whole career and different things. So there's pieces of her novel in it. There's like parts of the scripts that she wrote all together. And I wish they had little introductions for those because you can read it and there's no context at all. That's funny because usually those kind of books often Mm -hmm. will, even more than an individual collection would. It, It has two really nice introductions by people who worked with her, but... Each piece just runs into the other one. And really? Yeah. That's that's too bad. I didn't finish bad. that collection, but it was like, this is confusing. Like out of context. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, on that book, we probably have to pick it up a little bit. We're going to get through everything. But but in that book, uh, there were some ones where it was like dated, but I was interested. Like she has a, uh, a profile of George. I think it's George Fodor, F-O-D-O-R. Mm-hmm. I'm very familiar as a person working in libraries with the photo guides to like travel, but had never thought about the origins of that. And it's it's new when she's writing about it. She's writing about the beginning of sort of like hipster food culture mm-hmm. um, in the in a, at a very interesting time. You know when the food scene in in the United States is changing a lot. I'm trying to think if there were any other pieces that really. The ones that sort of hold up, you know. She does one about um, Ayn Rand that I thought was really good. <laughs> I think that holds up. So she wrote that. And then, you know, I'm forgetting kind of how the jump gets made. But she ends up, maybe on the strength of that book, becoming like a columnist. Mm-hmm. She gets a column. She did a couple different columns. But I think the one that people remember the most ended up being collected in a book called Crazy Salad. And it's her columns on women and feminism. She did one on media. She did other series for Esquire. I think it was Esquire. And that's, I think, when she really blew up. I read some of Crazy Salad. I don't know. Did you read any of the essay? You might have in that collection. Yeah, I might have. I don't recall. Some really famous essays. I think one of the most famous is the one about breasts. Mm-hmm. That's a, fam- a few words about breasts, which is a, one of her f- most famous essays. The one about the sexual fantasy that you referred mm-hmm. to. They're great. Like I went from reading Wallflower at the Orgy to reading those. And you feel she's so much more confident in her voice. Mm-hmm. And there's ways that that collection could be dated too. But it doesn't feel like it. Because yeah. you can see how she's grown where it's so voice driven mm-hmm. that you're like, I don't care if this is dated. I'm reading it because of her. I think there's probably a distinction there, too, from going from, like, journalism where you're writing in a house style to being a columnist where you, you're you just writing because you're you, you know, like, oh, you yeah. say whatever you want. And, you know, I think you feel her in the Wallflower at the Orgy bursting at the edges in that creative nonfiction, new journalism way. And she really gets to go for it in her crazy salad essays Mm -hmm. and then she became a screenwriter she talks about in that documentary i think about wanting to to see if that she could really make that work because it would be easier it's less work you get paid more for for producing less for movies (laughs) um and she was raising two boys um, yeah like and she was raised in that too so it was a little bit like a return yeah, but it would be easier to like take care of her kids yeah. and stuff if, if she could make it as a screenwriter. And she knocked it out of the park. I'd say like her first, I think she got maybe some like TV jobs or episodes or something. But then her first movie she did was Silkwood. 
Yeah, yeah. Which she co-wrote. With uh, Alice Arlen. With Alice Arlen, and then it was directed by... Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols, who she had some sort of uh, creative obsession with. And yeah. they were also friends. I wanted I wanted to mention that, like a little sidebar at that point, because you mentioned Rob Reiner earlier. Mm-hmm. She had these kind of... I mean, we don't know, but they seem like sort of like platonic romances, real like lifelong relationships that were real intense mm-hmm. with some of these people. Rob Reiner, I think, is one. And, and Mike Nichols, though, is in his own category. Like in Wallflower at the Orgy, yeah, she... I feel like she's flirting with Mike Nichols. Like she's in the piece, like like toward <laughs> him. Like she wants him to read it and be like, oh, you can tell she just loves Mike Nichols. She does a profile of him and then also it includes an interview she did with him talking about... Filmmaking and The Graduate. The Graduate. That's probably what a lot of people know Mike Nichols from. But for Silkwood, she was, she and uh, her co-writer were nominated for a Best Screenplay Oscar, and I don't recall if they won or not. That was interesting, because, and tell me what you think, Becky. We came in, and there are those Nora Ephron movies that are, like, really Mm well-known. And we wanted to rewatch those, certainly. But we're looking at her whole filmography and we're so curious mm-hmm. about the ones, you know, that didn't hit quite that big or haven't stayed quite in people's consciousness yeah. and whether they were good or not, whether they and Silkwood was really interesting. So Silkwood came out in 1983. It's a drama, mostly. It's got lots of little character moments that are occasionally like funny or charming. They're human. But it stars Meryl Streep, who shows up in a few of her films, plays her in Heartburn, and then, of course, was in Julia and Juliet. And she plays Karen Silkwood, who was a nuclear... She worked at a, a nuclear a plant in, was it Arkansas? No, I think it was Oklahoma. Oklahoma, you're right, that manufactured, like, uranium pellets. They were, like, a processing for materials for, like, nu- nuclear mm-hmm. energy production. And she became... And she worked there. Yeah, and so she became kind of a labor activist in her plant over like safety issues and died very suddenly in a car accident right before she was supposed to release these documents to like the Washington Post. I think it was the New York Times. New York Times, some major yeah, magazine. She was in communication newspaper. both with sort of the National Union and with a, a reporter at the New York Times and he had come down to Oklahoma. Fascinating. I should You should say too, Meryl Streep is in it. Kurt Russell plays sort of opposite her as as the sort of love interest. Cher mm-hmm. plays her lesbian roommate. I couldn't believe I'd never heard of this movie. Yeah. And I'm watching it. It was an interesting film. It's so different than her other movies, but it really stays with you. Like as I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is good. And Do we, I like it? But yeah. then I thought about it and thought about it for days and days and weeks. Of, and we weren't familiar with the Karen Silkwood story. I think no. the way that people were when the movie came out. It was very recent history, too. Mm-hmm. It was like almost current news when they made the movie because the movie came out in 83 and uh-huh. she died in like 78. So it was fresh and it was still working through the courts. Yeah. It was like a thing that people would have been familiar with. So we watched the ending. It just ends like she's in the it's car and the movie's sudden. over. And we're like, what? And then we, you know, of course, pick up uh, our phones and are like, scroll, scroll, yeah. scroll. <laughs> But it was really interesting mm-hmm. and really well acted. Um, the details were... I don't know were... if you guys knew this, but Meryl Streep is a really good actress. <laughs> Newsflash. No, it was really interesting. And Cher's part was really interesting. Uh, yeah. When I first watched it, I was kind of like, does this hold together? Like, obviously, you know, they did. It seems like a pretty faithful rendering of the facts. And there's a lot of loose ends in that story. Mm-hmm. And I was like, does this hold together? But then the more I thought about it, I think it, it does. And it's just a very subtle movie, pretty quiet movie. But like you said, it is full of a lot of really tremendous moments, right? And they really get you into sort of the fear, the heartbreak and the fear of that situation that these people were in. Yeah, when they're like, I don't know, all learning about their exposure, they're going to die. They've not been given an accurate yeah. sense of their exposure, you know, it's and in Oklahoma. It's in Oklahoma. It's in a place I think a lot of these people really need these jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Karen Silkwood herself. She's in her late twenties. She's a mother whose children are separated from her. They're with her husband or ex-husband, and um, you see the kind of desperation there. She really needs this job, yeah. and it's hard to get time off and all of this stuff. But I, I just think of certain moments like. When she walks in and it goes off and they're scrubbing her down and like, mm-hmm. de- I mean, it's 
it's a very intense movie. Mm-hmm. I had read that they wanted to shoot that, like reshoot that decontamination scene. Maybe they'd already done it twice and wanted to do it one more time. And Meryl Streep was like, no, I'm not doing that again. Oh, and when that, that old lady, mm-hmm. older lady gets, oh, that was, you know, it's a funny thing about that movie I thought was hilarious was Meryl Streep sings in it mm-hmm. quite a bit. And Cher does not. Yeah. They're like in the car and Meryl Streep is singing away and Cher never sings, the professional singer. Yeah, and then also it's funny, I believe I never watched Mamma Mia Two, but I believe Cher plays Meryl's mother in that movie. <laughs> I, I They are the same. Cher's a good Cher's a good actor. Yeah. Uh, I mean Moonstruck. Mm-hmm. Oh, a whole nother episode. Yeah. We'll have to do a dance oh, is it? The guy who wrote that in Doubt, we'll have to do another episode. <laughs> yeah, so that was, uh, she did Silkwood, and then she did Heartburn, which we didn't get around to. That's Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. But did you finish Heartburn? I did not, but I got a taste of it's, the book. It's good. I did a staff, it's really good. staff pick for it. If you, like, you, if you like When Harry Met Sally, I think there's like a lot to like in... Heartburn, it's funny. It's so funny. Um, Effervescent. Mm-hmm. And it's tight. It's This is not a long book. It's under 200 pages, mm-hmm. and it wastes no time. Yeah. It's, it's it's like candy. Yeah, it's really good. And it's interesting, too. Like, I, from my experience with Nora Ephron, never con- you know, thought about her as like a foodie type of person. Even turns out she was, and she did food writing and stuff. And it really shows in Heartburn. I Reading Heartburn felt that connection to way later when she does Julia and Julia. Um, no food comes up. And she writes about in her food. work quite a bit. I listened to half of the audiobook of I Feel Bad About My Neck, which is essays. And she writes about food in there. And like over the, the course of her life, these like, she doesn't use this word, but like celebrity chefs that she idolized and tried to like mimic at different parts of her life, which I thought was really funny. And then she did a movie called Cookie. I could not find access to this movie. That was another Alice Arlen co-write. Uh-huh. Um, and then she did When Harry Met Sally. We watched. We re- rewatched that. Great. It, it's every bit as good as every other time I've watched it. And maybe mm-hmm. even you know you always Better. notice more details. Yeah. And we were watching it the other day, and you're like, I wonder how much of this is Billy Crystal. I feel like he's a real kind of ad libber. He he wrote that line, the I'll have what she's having. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious how much because I know that I happens like in that those m- movies. How much was, you know, Norris writing because she could write a, a zinger like nobody else and and how much he brought to it because some of it feels like maybe things from his stand up mm-hmm. kind of that he did, you know, that kind of. But I could imagine them like in a room together just like pew, pew, pew. He's so good in that movie. I mean, he's really good. And there's so many things that are good about that movie. They'll like, like there's a scene where they're having a conversation over the phone and they're watching Casablanca. And then the video is like a montage. And you don't see that like a montage happen with kind of like a voiceover dialogue very often. And it's done so well. I also always love the scene where he's telling his friend, about his wife leaving him while they're at like a baseball game and the wave comes through and he's telling this terribly sad story about realizing that, you know, the movers that his wife hired knew he was getting a divorce before he did. And then they stand up and do the wave, you know, it's so funny. <laughs> the details. Yeah. There'll be the, the, the dialogue, the verbal level, mm-hmm. and then the gesture level below yeah. it. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's so amazing. So yeah, that was a pleasure to rewatch. Mm-hmm. I think not too terribly long after that, another of her big movies, right, was um, Sleepless. So when Harry Met Sally came out in '89 and Sleepless came out in '83, and she had two two movies and a big career change between that. She did My Blue Heaven, really hard to find. That's a Steve Martin movie, and then her directorial debut was This Is My Life. Yeah, we didn't get to that one either. I kind of wanted to. Yeah, Meg Wolitzer adaptation, yeah. and that was her first movie that she directed. She worked on that with Delia, I think. Her sister was on worked on that too. Did she? Mm-hmm. And that's about sisters and uh, mothers and stuff. So I could see that. And then she did Sleepless, mm-hmm. which she wrote and directed. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell enter you, Tom Hanks. Yeah, I'll tell you, I didn't love Sleepless in Seattle like when I was younger. Part of what I like about Gwen Harry Met Sally 
and you've got male is the chemistry between the two leads mm. and i didn't like that tom hanks and meg ryan don't interact for the most enti- of the movie the entire movie really yeah no they don't it's an interesting choice for yeah. a rom-com and i'd read or seen her say somewhere that that movie isn't really about like their romance it's about the way people feel about romance in movies Rita Wilson who was a, a really good Ugh. friend of Nora Ephron and shows up in a few of her movies does this incredible scene where she's talking about <laughs> an affair to remember affair to remember and she's just crying describing it and man, can Rita Wilson cry. And she's talking to Tom Hanks, and ugh, the actor's name escapes me. Another actor you would know. Yeah, the guy from Alias. Yeah. And they're just like, oh my gosh, crying at this movie, da da da. <laughs> and then they start talking about the Dirty Dozen, I think. <laughs> and they start crying. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. No, the supporting cast in these movies, too. Carrie Fisher in Harry and oh Sally. My gosh. She's so good. Mm-hmm. Rita Wilson, Rosie O'Donnell. Could okay. do a whole episode about how much I love Rosie O'Donnell, but Rosie O'Donnell's really good in that. So is, uh, not, I don't know his real name, Nigel from Frasier, who plays um, Meg Ryan's character's brother. brother. There's such a good mm-hmm. supporting cast. When we get to You've Got Mail, Dave Chappelle is a really good mm-hmm. supporting character. Um, Parker Posey. Yeah, all of the characters in the bookstore. She follows the Listens Yellow with Mixed Nuts, also wrote and directed. And that one, in that documentary, they played like a clips from uh, like that Rod, a Rod Siskel and Ebert show where they're like, this movie's terrible. They hated it. <laughs> they hated, they hated it. it so much. I, I thought I, it. I, I liked was it. Was it my favorite? No, but I liked it better than they did. It's real. It's real ridiculous. It's real ridiculous. It's real quirky. It's Steve Martin, Rita Wilson. Is it Liv Schreiber? Liv Schreiber. Yeah. It's it's fun though. It's yeah. It takes place. I mean, at a suicide prevention line. Yeah, suicide hotline on Christmas Eve. It's real like a lot of dark humor. Everyone's worried about this like serial killer, and it takes place in like this beach town like. California. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's funny. There's some things in it that date it, but Parker Posey's in that, but barely. Yeah. And John Stewart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Liv Liv Schreiber plays a transgender character, and I was a little nervous about that, how that would go, and it I went better than I thought. The way he plays the character is really good, and I think that could hold. But the way the character is treated by everyone else is bad. Is bad. So, but probably accurate. To the to the yeah. t- you know so in some ways I think Adam it, Sandler's in that too. Adam Sandler is yeah. in that, yeah. Oh gosh, who was the woman? It- She's in Yellow Jackets now. Everyone should watch Yellow Jackets. It's on Showtime if you like. We're referring to so much other stuff. <laughs> you like, I don't know horror TV. If you have a pulse, you should watch Yellow Jackets. <laughs> Juliet Lewis. Juliet Lewis, thank you. And lots of character actors. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it didn't it didn't get received very well, but you can check it out from the library and I someone on staff said it was their favorite Christmas movie. Yeah. So I th- I think it has you know, critics aren't always right. And mm-hmm. and I think it has maybe a cult a little bit of a cult following. Yeah, and I think if you it's just like some people just don't like dark comedy. Right. And, if you don't, and a kind of surreal comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't then it's yeah, kind of a one of her wackier ones. She followed it up with another wacky movie which was a lot more popular, I think, which was Michael. We watched that one, too. Yeah, that was interesting. John Travolta, I don't know, that one also got very mixed reviews. And it is kind of a... And it takes place at Christmas time. It does take place at Christmas. She she seems to have had a thing with Christmas. I liked it. Does it totally hold together? Probably not. Uh, William Hurt is in it. He's mm-hmm. excellent. Uh, oh, uh, what's the woman's name? She was real big. I mean, in a lot of stuff at that time. Andy McDowell. Andy McDowell is in it. John Travolta, obviously. Yeah. I think John Travolta does really well. I think he uh-huh. kills it. There's this scene where he's like dancing with all these women. I mean. Yeah, and they're all like entranced by him. It's like, you know, he plays the angel Michael. So there's obviously like a magical uh, element. Oh, big time. But he's also like not what you expect from an angel. He's like, he's a, like chain a chain smoker. smoking, kind of like slob. But it's a charming movie. Okay. It's r- another wacky one, but it's charming. I I really enjoyed it. Even like the end when William Hurt he like Michael dies. I don't I don't really know. He like lays down in the street and disappears, and then William Hurt thinks he sees him, 
and so does Andy McDowell. And they're both like following, you know, reflections or glimpses of of him and then they run into each other. It's it's just charming. Yeah. And then she did You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail is based off a shop around the corner, which was a play that they made into a movie. Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. Stewart is in it. We watched that the other day too. And that was one I remember watching when I was younger and being like, mm, I should have just watched You've Got Mail that I like better now. It's got a lot going on. Mm-hmm. It's a cool, almost a little bit screwball, but. Um, and it is a Christmas movie. It cracks me up because it's like set in Budapest. And like some people have accents. Some people don't even try to have <laughs> accents. It's like Jimmy Stewart, of course, does not have a Hungarian accent. He's just doing himself. He's just doing Jimmy Stewart. But you see, it's interesting to see the, you know, the parallels and the ways it departs from it. The main thing it has in common is that scene where they're going to meet and the man comes second and he sees or finds out that it's this woman that he has like a hostile relationship with. And uh, that scene is very close. Yeah, it's almost. And then the conceit, the main thing is the conceit of like knowing each other and, uh, but being secret pen pals and not knowing that it's this antagonistic person in your life. And then also a little bit the dynamics of a shop. Yeah. It's not the same. It's not like a shop under threat kind of a thing. But the dynamics of all these people working in a shop, you can see a little in You've Got Mail. Yeah. And I love You've Got Mail. I love, you know, that it's all, it's about bookstores. Um, and I like that. I love the characters who work at Meg Ryan's bookstore, Kathleen Kelly's store. They're like little family dynamic i like who plays meg ryan's like boyfriend greg kinnear yep he's so good he she does this a little bit with harry's friend and when harry met sally where they're like both like columnists who are a little bit conceited about it i guess self-absorbed yeah i think the greg kinnear character more than the other but they're like, oh, I didn't know, you know, like you read that. I, you know, you yeah. put this out there and you never know, you know, it's going to really make a difference for somebody. And the, and the spouse swapping thing, they do, she does it differently. Uh-huh. In When Harry Met Sally, it's like, oh, they get set up. They're like on a double, you know, a double mm-hmm. date set up with each other's friends. But the friends hit it off more than, and then they do it in. No, they don't. No, you think that they're going to at one point. And then they actually, they don't. Okay. Yeah. But she kind of plays it in that uh-huh. scene in a mini way where it's mm-hmm. like when they're at the party. Parker Posey and uh, Greg Kinnear really like hit it off. Yeah. And there's so many lines from that too. Leora is like F-O-X. What is that one about fall? Don't you love, uh, doesn't it make you just want to. Want to buy school supplies? Buy school supplies. Fall in New York just makes you want to buy school mm-hmm. supplies. And then he says he's going to send her a bouquet of sharpened pencils. Yeah. Ugh. That movie is so good. Mm-hmm. You know, we also watched a more recent movie of hers. So after you've got Mel, she she didn't direct this, but she co-wrote Hanging Up with her sister. Mm. We watched that last year. and it, It's okay. I don't know. I think I'd like to watch it again knowing more about her, their family. Mm-hmm. Because it's very... Like autobiographical, Delia was, I think, that she's the, Meg Ryan plays her in the movie. Delia wrote the novel, Hanging Up. Yeah. um, It's her take on their family situation. mm -hmm. It's the same kind of thing that Nora did in Heartburn where, like, the parents are their parents and the sister relationships. And she plays kind of like the sister who is, feel like, overshadowed by her more successful older sister who she also feels got, like, the better... The best of their parents. Yeah. When they were at their, you know, best as far as parenting and, and career and everything. Mm-hmm. It's directed by the woman who plays the Nora Ephron character. Oh, Diane Keaton. Yeah, it's directed by Diane Keaton. She's not a great director. Walter Matthau is in it as uh-huh. the father. And then the middle sister, who I think is kind of an Amy ish character, is uh, Lisa Kudrow. Lisa Kudrow. Yeah. yeah. Never uh- had any trouble casting. I mean,. <laughs> She had Steve Martin in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, at the height of his film career. Interesting sidebar. At one point, I can't remember which movie it is, she did a movie about a gangster. Uh-huh. And it's Steve Martin as the gangster. And a fun fact is, so she was married to a humorist, and they got divorced. And then she was married to Carl Bernstein, and they got divorced. And then she ended up with you know the guy who ended up really- Love of her life. Love of her life, Nicholas Pelagio, who people probably don't know that name, but he wrote Goodfellas. And was in that sort of Italian, New York, Italian-American New York world. And so 
she wrote My Blue Heaven. My Blue Heaven about the same kind of figure, based off the same figure that he was writing Goodfellas about. It was sort of her take on that world. And it's a comedy. And it's a comedy. But it's funny to me that he was writing Goodfellas, you mm-hmm. know, at the same time. And I don't know if she she worked with Steve Martin, who also had worked with really closely with Rob Reiner, directed the jerk and you know, everyone was friends. It's there was like, yeah, a community. Mm-hmm. Create creative community. Yeah. After it hanging up, she did Bewitched, which I didn't see. So Will Ferrell, Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. rework of the show. Yeah. And then she directed like Lucky Numbers. I don't want to watch that. Anyways, and then she did Julian and Julia, which we have watched. Julian and Julia, yeah. Julie and Julia. It's hard for me to say. Yeah, it's interesting our timing on this because Julie Powell just died. Mm-hmm. I think was shocking to a lot of people. She's very very young. young, heart failure. So she wrote a book that's based off a book. Really, it's based off two books. So Julie Powell had done her Julia Child experience where she tried to cook everything from the art of French cooking. In, and, in a year. In a year. And she wrote that book and it was well received. Mm-hmm. Nor Ephron does an interesting thing. So it's based on that, but it's really also based a lot on a late, late book that Julia Child wrote with her grandson called my life in france and then she she sort of sets it up as a kind of dual it's so sophisticated what she does it's so beautifully done it's like a dual narrative where she's following meryl streep as julia child stanley tucci as her husband in a beautiful Mm -hmm. marriage romance and then she's following amy Adams. adams as julie and then her boyfriend husband 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 her husband you know him from the mindy project he has a very very small part in you've got mail oh, what is his name? almost not in it but yeah he's like a, an extra basically like, hey look at that guy he's very young but i guess Nora Ephron did not forget him <laughs> anyway she, it sounds like she makes julie powell a lot nicer in, in, yeah. in, the, in the movie but she does this dual narrative that's sort of in communication with each other mm-hmm. i yeah i like how that did it's like these two women's essentially their process of cooking and also writing a book that ended up for both of them being their like kind of major life's work and the effect of that on their marriages and vice versa the effect of their marriages on the work that they did i think it's hard to overstate how marvelous meryl streep's performance is not an easy you know i mean you could imagine it'd be a stretch you know to play this Mm -hmm. real distinctive famous figure she just does it so well. She also would do it like over and over again. I'd watched this little clip of Nora presenting. It might have been some sort of Lifetime Achievement Award to Meryl Streep, which she earned and then continued to make like all these other movies. But talking about if you want to feel really good about yourself, have Meryl Streep play you in a movie. Um, <laughs> like she played her in Heartburn. Yeah. Um, yeah. Meryl Streep went on. Now she's, you know, maybe at like two lifetimes worth of achievement. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But yeah, and it's interesting. So Nora Ephron, you know, she had gotten into this late career too, which I don't think either of it. Well, you did read some of, you said, the, mm-hmm. the late memoirs, a lot of stuff about aging. Mm-hmm. She's also got sick. So I think she was beginning to be sick mm-hmm. secretly. And that's a big thing in the documentary is sort of this is this kind of analysis and processing by all these people who loved her of this decision to hide her leukemia and it's her son going out to like the people she was closest with and was like did you know and everyone's like no but then also they all had stories about like you know in retrospect i can see that this dinner i had with her was her way of saying goodbye right yeah and a lot of those people close people very close people knew very, very close to the end. It was yeah. when they really knew. Yeah, it was interesting. But she was making that movie. She was sort of doing these things. She did a f- sort of a final show, a stage show with Tom Hanks. Yeah. And you kind of wonder. I you kind of wonder about Tom Hanks stepping, you know, big movie star stepping aside to do that show. And you wonder, you know, that was kind of the last big thing that she did. Yeah. If he knew. Although, yeah, maybe. Although I'd read that Ann Patchett book where she talks about. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, because she ends up becoming really good friends with his assistant um, who living with her through the lockdown part of the pandemic, and then she passed away. Anyways, she she talks about Tom Hanks. Like, she read his book of short stories and then blurbed it because she liked it so much. And then, like, 
met him somewhere and offhandedly mentioned that she thought it would be cool for him to read her audiobook for something and he's like i'll do it for like the dutch house maybe oh yeah Anyways, it seems like he's genuinely a nice guy and it seems like he also generally likes to work yeah he's a busy he he's a busy guy yeah but yeah he married was, to rita wilson mm-hmm. we should know yeah and i think rita was very close with Nora Ephron. in the introduction for that new biography that's out which is just called Nora Ephron, it talks about you know, this interview that her and like a panel maybe maybe about the movie documentary and her son was talking about finding out so much more about his mom after she had died and how it's both very sad but also nice and then Rita Wilson like jumps in and she's like because your like relationship gets to continue with them it's a very I've watched it's just like a genre now of personal documentaries Uh about famous people like Joan Didion's nephew did that documentary Mm -hmm. about her the center will not hold we watched that Kurt Vonnegut one the Kurt Vonnegut one which we have here at the library it's excellent unstuck in time or unstuck in time and that one's about basically his friendship yeah but it's like this this guy approached him he wanted to be his documentarian documentarian through his life always wanted to make this documentary about him well, I don't think he wanted to be through his life. He just, he wanted to make a documentary about him. It ended up being a, that it never got made. So he just continued to Yeah. Um, and they shoot. ended up becoming very good friends. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's made it. So these kind of personal documentaries, mm-hmm. I think, are so moving. When the person really knew or that, the person, the, the subject of the documentary. Yeah. It's interesting. This was a good experience. Yeah. It makes me, always these episodes, we... Start out, you know, oh, I'm going to read all the stuff. And you, you can't, right? Uh, not in this month. But it always sends you off in so many directions, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I guess that's part of the joy of reading and experiencing art is it sends you off in different directions. But there's more I want to watch. There's more I want to read. I want to kind of read some Delia Efron. I want to explore did, the sister's yeah. work. So she wrote, had a book come out. Late last year, earlier this year, late last year, I think. Late last year, Left on 10th. Mm-hmm, which is about both of her, and I checked it out, and I didn't get to read it, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. <laughs> her, her dealing with her sister's death, and then right on the heels of that, her husband's, husband's death. death. Yeah. And then also, I think, like, falling in love again, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think so. I'd um, like to read her novel. One, You know, she wrote a number of books, but, like... Um, there's the novel that hanging up. Mm-hmm. I'm curious because I'd watched the movie, what I would think of, because there was, it sounded like some tension <laughs> with how Nora felt about the novel and that she, Delia kind of hinted at the fact that that maybe affected how the movie came out. Yeah. And so I'm curious to go back to that book and see what it, what it's like. Of course, Nora Ephron was human. You could be like, you know, you know, she should have been able to take, you know, somebody not pulling punches. But obviously she's human. Mm-hmm. It's different when you write Heartburn than when your sister writes the book where you're not a, f- <laughs> you're the unflattering character. Yeah. The more famous sister. She's like a. The Diane Keaton. I didn't remember what she does. In I feel like the... she's kind of like a Brene Brownie kind of person. Yeah. Like a, you know, like a. And she's very self-absorbed. Person. Yeah. And sort of. And too busy for everybody. And too busy to help. Meg Ryan is sort of stuck with the parent, uh-huh. the tragedy of like. The parents and thanking just sort of breezes in yeah and she's yeah she's got the money and stuff yeah so i listened to a little bit of i feel bad about my neck and it is very and people you know like she was on oprah talking about it people like loved her kind of frankness of talking about aging with all of the beauty standards in our culture and she writes about her neck and about getting work done and about her like beauty routine, how much time she spends on it kind of makes this joke as like you get older, you have to spend more time on it, but it's fine because you have more time to spend. <laughs> uh, she has this really funny little essay about her purse and like the stuff she keeps in it and how, you know, throughout her life, she'd be like, this is the purse that's going to make me like an organized person. And, yeah. how, you know, that doesn't happen. Anyway, she's funny. She stayed funny. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me when people do careers like that that are so various or that somebody kind of has a resurgence in their career, you know, sort of unexpectedly. It's kind of reminds me a little bit of Joan Didion, too, writing those late, totally different <laughs> grief memoirs mm-hmm. that she wrote where it was like a whole new generation and different groups of people learned about her, you know, 
the magical thinking book and stuff. It makes me think of that kind of late success. So Yeah, and I read, maybe it was in that introduction for that biography too, where she was talking about her doing the Julia Child story and having that connection to she didn't become a director until she was in her 50s. And Julia Child did not have her her career success until like she was in her 50s. Yeah, yeah, late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. Well, folks, I can't believe it. We're we're nearing the end of the year. We have only one more episode, which is going to be about Craig Johnson, the uh, Wyoming-based, uh, hard to classify, you know, mystery Western writer. I want to remind everybody. You know, and thank everybody who's participated in the Beanstack. That this was our first year doing that challenge, mm-hmm. the R Shelf Challenge, and we've had a tremendous response. We'll be drawing the prize for that in January after the challenge is concluded. We're already getting set for our 2023 slate of authors. So if you if you if you didn't know about the challenge, you know, you, there's going to be a whole new opportunity, mm-hmm. a bunch of exciting new authors we we tried again to have a a wide range so to both interest different people and to encourage us and and you to to try something different and i think there'll be more voices you know on the next year i think there's a lot of interest you know you've heard some different people if you're a longtime fan come on to the show i think you're going to see more of that for fans of uh, jacob and joanne from from other things you know you're going to hear their voices so it's it's very exciting So look for that in the new year. Thanks, Austin. Thank you. Um, And thanks for listening to your shelf. Or mine. I'm Becky. I'm Austin. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Support for Your Shelf or Mine comes from the Friends of the Longview Public Library, the Longview Library Foundation, and listeners like you. Your Shelf or Mine jingle is written and performed by Megan McKeldery from A Song for You. Find Megan online at ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-M-C-E-L-D-E-R-R-Y. ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery.